Aalto University Podcast. At Aalto, when we talk about an academic advisor, we mean a person representing the study program with whom the students may discuss goals and wishes related to their studies, as well as topics related to the field and research. The aim of the guidance is to support the students in their studies and to be the person who knows, helps and gives advices. Academic advising at its best is a joint journey that supports self-reflection. Kyösti Ruuttunen works as a senior university lecturer teaching and researching biomass refining. Kyösti advises bachelor's, master's and PhD students thesis. His fields of interest include biomass fractionation with chemical and mechanical methods, wood chemistry and pedagogy in higher education. Future-led learning by Alta University. Hello Kyösti and welcome to the Future-led Learning podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Hey, let's dive into our today's topic. We're talking about academic advising today. There are many ways of supporting or guiding our students. Do you have any guidelines, models or philosophies that you follow? Mm, not as such. We do have in the School of Chemical Engineering, we do have these supporting materials, so-called cue cards, where there are example questions and so on. Those are quite useful. But basically, of course, it depends. If you meet a student the first time, then it's a bit different way of interacting than, than if you know the student from previous meetings. But basically, it's about getting to know each other in the beginning, introducing yourself, asking how the student is doing. And then, of course, there are certain sort of official questions you have to make what the student is intending to study encouraging the student to to study in a reasonable pace so that he or she will graduate but other than that i think it's mostly about being present it's about yeah being there for the student it's about empathy a lot so it's nothing Everyone can do it, basically. No, nothing magic or nothing special about it. Just be yourself, be present. Can you tell us a little bit about the structure? So when does academic advising start? It should start with all our students. So from when they're, from when they're freshmen in the bachelor studies first year. Mostly I have been doing it with the master students and we have it For the first year master students, actually, as a part of one course, we have one-on-one meetings with all the students in the master's program. I think in bachelor's program, it's working in a bit different way. There might be actually more of group meetings, but basically it should be so that there are individual meetings for all our students. In the School of Chemical Engineering, the academic advising is actually a part of the compulsory first year master's course, Academic Learning Community. You are the teacher in charge of this. Can you tell us a little bit more about this course? Yes, certainly. So the course itself, it's not only about academic advising. There are a lot of other parts like communication. There's some teaching about writing writing master's thesis and so on, other, other things then. So this academic advising is just a small part of it. How we do it is that 
during the orientation week, there is a, a major specific orientation. So for each major, we have this sort of a lecture or yeah, maybe it's a lecture telling general things about the major and then the academic advisors are there. And then after the lecture part, then there will be a meeting, group meeting with the advisors and the students. And then later the course lasts the whole year. So from period one to period five. Um, and then there are two meetings, individual meetings with all the students. So in, I think that this year in my group, I have nine students. So that's quite a large group. So normally I think one teacher would have five or a bit more students. And then the meetings are registered, so the, the, the advisors register the meetings somehow. There should be now the new system for that. I don't know if it's really functional, but basically they sent email to a coordinator about the meetings. And then eventually I check that everyone has had these meetings. Of course, when I meet my students, I always tell them that it's not only about doing it for the course, but it's to be useful for the students, especially. Future-led learning. So what kind of feedback have you received from your students? Not all parts of the course are very popular among the students, but this academic advising, so mostly the students have felt that it's very useful. In what way? Many students are wondering what they should study if they want to be employed there and there. If they, Some of them have, of course, interests. So they are wondering, should they take some particular course or if they should take a minor on this or that. And, and that with that kind of discussions, of course, the, the teachers can help. Um, also, we discuss then with the students about master's thesis positions, about summer work. And of course, I firmly believe that it's useful both for the students and the teacher to get to know each other. It's nice to be at the department when you can say hello to people on the, on the corridors. So would you say that academic advising creates the sense of belonging for the students? I believe so, yes. In the best case, of course. So if we look at it from a broader perspective, what potential could academic advising have in guiding all the students in their study path? I think it can have a big impact. It's Even though it's called advising, which sort of gives an impression about something very practical and precise, it's more guiding or guidance or mentoring or so on. So in this way... It can teach the students also to see for that kind of mentoring in the future as well. If you look at it from the student's perspective, what do you think is the main purpose for the students? When I've asked the students what they expect from from the meetings, they especially expect to get quite precise advices about courses. Sometimes they even think that the teachers can teach them how to use SISU system, which is not the case. So this is, I think, their primary expectations in the beginning. I, on the other hand, then I try to tell them always that I will not 
give them those precise answers, but I will be very happy to find answers with them. This is one thing they get out of it. It's a different process. If you're just thinking about, if you have problems, for example, or some challenges, whatever they may be, if you just uh, sit by yourself and start thinking about them, you won't solve them. But it's a different process when you talk about things. The, the thinking process is different and you may actually just find the solutions yourself when you put words to the thoughts. With someone? Yes. You mentioned empathy. From the teacher's perspective, what kind of process is it for you? For example, if you get a student that might have some sort of a, a problem or something and you you realize that, okay, I really need to address this with the student. So what kind of process is it for the teacher? And not just, of course, problems, but in general. Luckily, mostly I haven't encountered big problems. Of course, the students may have them, but I want to underline here that it's not the academic advisor's job to to try to solve those kind of problems with the student. Of course, you can then, it's good for you to know to whom the student can turn to if, if there are sort of things that you think are some type of psychological problems or whatever they might be the students has. But I think it's the teachers have all been in the same in the same position than the student is at the moment. We all have studied in university. We all have yeah moved out of from our original home where our moms and dads and brothers and sisters live and started to live in a in a other place. Sort of that's what I mean with the empathy. So you have to be able to understand the position that the student has at the moment and then try to in that sense solve the problems or I don't know if they're problems but understand the situation where the student is so that that's what I mean with empathy and that's what I mean when I say that everyone can do it so What about the academic advisor or the degree program? What are the benefits for them in this process? Future-led learning. <sighs> Students' well-being must be a priority to all of us. If we have students who feel welcome, who feel well, they will learn better. Happier students we have, the better learning results we have. That's This is what I believe. According to the Allwell 2022 survey, 28% of the respondents did not feel they belong to any groups related to their studies. And as we know, like we just talked, sense of belonging is a central part of well-being. So do you think that academic advising could play a role in creating this sense of belonging? I think we just talked about this, but How would we also make this a topic that we can talk openly here? When the teachers and the students know each other, then the interaction also in other situations becomes more natural. And I think then that's a good start for the feelings that that you belong. Of course, thinking in another way, most of our students then think that they belong to something, which is, of course, great. 
And for me, it's okay that not all the students benefit a lot from academic advising. There are students who can do without it, but it won't hurt anyone. And if we can find this 28% and then make their feeling better, I think we must do it. Absolutely. Aalto has a minimum policy that each degree student is entitled to have academic advising once a year. How do you see this policy? I think in principle it's very good. Of course, I think the teachers are very willing to do their part, but it's also true that many of our teachers are very busy as well. If the university gives these kind of policies, then I would be very happy if, if there was the resources as well. Do you think that we have the resources currently? I, uh, personally, I would say I do. I have the time. And it's also, I mean, of course, the, the, the teachers have to do their part as well. Because we are here because of the students. Of course, there's also research that we all do, but not so many of us would be here if the students weren't here. That's true. So in in that sense, I think the students, has they have to be a, the first priority for us. I was just thinking that we have the increasing number of intakes. And I suppose it has made advisors ponder how to organize academic advising. How would you solve the situation when we are getting more and more students here? I've been mostly doing the advising with master's students. I think it's quite different when the students are in their fourth year of studies. It's very different than the first year. So I think maybe the methods have to be a bit different between these different groups as well. Of course, it's possible to have group meetings and that way you can save your time a bit at least. But then there you have to ensure that that's all the students get the advising they need and they want. There is now this uh, student success hub system, which can help us a bit, at least in making the reservations. Uh, unfortunately, there have been some technical problems with that system, but uh, basically it seems to be working. I don't know. It's also about motivating the, the teachers to do it. It's also motivating the students to do it because I hear complaints from some of my colleagues that the students won't answer their invitations. To make these meetings compulsory for some people might feel that it's against this academic freedom that we are supposed to have here. But on the other hand, teaching students and the teachers to do it is a good thing. In an ideal system, first meetings would be compulsory ones. It would start up and, and it would become a habit. But to make it happen, it's not simple, I don't think. I don't have any sort of magic bullet for that. How do you reflect this thing with your colleagues? Do you sit down and talk like, how could we do this? Not very often. I must say, I think we, we should do that. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that probably would... Sharing is caring. So as we say that we care about the students, then maybe we should also care about the process by sharing the good practices and also maybe the kind of experiences that, that hey, this didn't work too well. Maybe we should look into this. Yeah, yeah. I also like the idea when you mentioned that could we somehow 
create a system where it's first as a group and there's only one compulsory meeting. So if someone doesn't feel like this is, you know, what I need, then they can choose that maybe they don't take so many. And then if somebody needs more guidance, then maybe they could get it. In the ideal world, it would work like that. But then how do we recognize, how do we identify the students who don't really need it? Or most importantly, how do we identify the students who would mostly benefit of it? Because it can be that those students are not the most active ones to, to get into contact with you. So we've been talking quite on the general level, but if you think of yourself as an academic advisor, for example, when you think of the time when you started as an academic advisor and you think of the journey, how would you reflect on that? Of course, to start with, I, it, it was very useful to have, for example, these cue cards and, and example questions. And we had some some training for that as well. To start it, it's good to know some basic things. But then when you have been doing it, of course, then it becomes more natural. What kind of cue cards do you get? What sort of questions can you think of an example from the cue cards? Well, they are very simple. I mean, you have to ask about the studies, if the student is planning to do all the studies that are recommended on that particular study year. A good question is that, how are you doing? You can ask what, what, what has been difficult in the studies this year? What has been easy? What have you enjoyed? Do you have time for anything else but studies? Because then if the student says that not really, I don't, I just study, I don't do anything else, then that's something then where you have to react a bit. How would you react there? I would ask a bit more about the situation. So how come? Is everything really so challenging? And then I would recommend the study psychologist. And we have this starting point of well-being, for example, which is a service that can be recommended, like a very low threshold mm -hmm. service. I have one example, for example, it, it was this uh, autumn, there was a, a student who wanted to know about how to apply for summer jobs. I showed that we have these career services and the student didn't even know about it. They can be very simple things that you think everybody knows, but pointing those out can be very helpful for the student. Future-led learning. So from teacher's perspective, you also have to be on top of the situation that what all is Aldo offering also. Yes, of course. That's another thing. So we have a lot of teachers who come from outside of Aldo. They might be coming outside of Finland and of course they don't really know a lot. So some of our teachers are a bit frustrated because they feel they can't answer always the students' questions. But I encourage the teachers then to try to find out these things themselves also. And sometimes I, I feel that many of our teachers feel that their role as a specialist, as a professional, is to have answers to everything. But in, in that sense, this academic advising is different from teaching. So you don't have to have the answers. You just have to be present. You have to have uh, the will to discuss these things with the students, trying to find the answer together. It's quite demanding to think that we should have all the answers all the time. One major thing about learning is that we can do it together no matter what. 
So even though you are an expert in your field, you can still learn new. It's good to say that, hey, let's find out together. Yes, that's how I I see it as well. Yeah. Hey, how many years have you been doing academic advising? More than 10 years now. Long journey. Yes, yeah. What would you say is the sort of highlight in this experience for you? Of course, it feels nice when you can help someone, but it feels as nice or even nicer if you meet a student and you just see immediately that this student is doing well. The student is enjoying, has motivation for the studies. And then I feel that most of our students, most of the students I meet are such cases. And, and that makes me feel very good that I know that these students will succeed. And must be also a nice experience if you get a student who doesn't initially have that feeling, but then when you help, uh, they get there. Yes, of course, but it's very difficult to take the credit for that. You're being it's, modest. In the, no, but yeah, of course, in the best case that can happen. Of course, it's nice to think that you can really affect people's lives, of course. But to be honest, mostly the meetings I have are twice a year in the best case with one student about half an hour, half an hour is just a half an hour or one hour in total per year. So. How long do you advise one student? How many uh, years? Mostly, as I said, I've been doing this in the master's program. And I, of course, encourage the students to be in contact with me also during the second year of the master's studies. I always send an invitation that, hey, if you want to, you can have a meeting with me. Not too many of the students really take that opportunity, some do. And then it's very nice to see if they have really done the things that we have been discussing earlier. It's a very nice thing if you get to meet the student again. So mostly it's these two years with one student. What is the role between being an academic advisor, like for the students starting in the master's program, and then when you advise an actual thesis, is there a connection there? Can it be the same person? It can be the same person. Of course, it's then maybe it's easier to start also with the thesis advising when you know the world. And it goes both ways, of course. So the student knows you and you know the student, but it doesn't make that much difference. It's actually a very different process because mm. with the thesis, it's really about the thesis. It's about the experiments. It's about writing the thesis. It's about literature search, very sort of concrete things. With academic advising, of course, there are some certain concrete things you can also discuss about your courses that you're teaching because most of the students I advise are also participating in the courses I teach. But it's it goes way beyond that. It can be also more, more abstract things. Mm. So if the student has, say, writer's block and it starts dragging and dragging. Do they contact their thesis advisor or do they contact the academic advisor? How does that work? To start with, I think the student should contact the thesis advisor or the thesis supervisor. But of course, the academic advisor could help in that situation as well, of course. And maybe it might be a good idea also to discuss 
with someone that is not so much involved in, in the project because they outsiders to you might be might be a very helpful one. Hey, we have been talking a lot about academic advising. It's been very educating to learn more about it. And I'm very glad that our students have people like you supporting them. I thank you very much for joining Future Led Learning Podcast and sharing your thoughts. Thank you, Kirsti. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. All the University Podcasts.